Well, you look out or run out of luck. You and your friends are at a traveling carnival, playing games of chance and skill. After winning a seemingly impossible game, you are offered a choice of two prizes by a mysterious attendant. You can choose either a blue-green crystal or a book entitled How to Get Lucky. Neither seems very exciting, but the attendant assures you that these prizes could change your life. Which will you choose? If you pick the crystal, turn to page 7. If you take the book, turn to page 67. Choose carefully. Your good luck could bring you wealth and adventure, but if you misuse your good fortune, you could lose everything, even your life. What happens next in the story? It all depends on the choices you make. How does the story end? Only you can find out. And the best part is that you can keep reading and rereading until you've had not one, but many incredibly daring experiences. You're the star. 11 exciting endings. Choose your own adventure book 132, The Luckiest Day of Your Life by Edward Packard, illustrated by Tom La Padula. La Padula. Oh, all right. Welcome to Incredibly Daring, a podcast where we read vintage choose-your-own-adventure books to each other and make generally poor choices. I'm Connie. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jason. Yeah, I thought I heard like Bop Do Wop. I wish that was his name. Maybe. Tom Bop Do Wop. I'm excited this is a carnival book. Because by the cover, it's just three children looking at a treasure in a treasure chest. Yeah. That's not a very specific at all. Yeah, that could be like Goonies or something. Mm-hmm. Warning, do not read this book straight through from beginning to end. These pages contain many different adventures that you may have when you receive a mysterious good luck charm at a traveling carnival. From time to time as you read along, you'll have a chance to make a choice. After you make your decision, follow the instructions to find out what happens to you next. A lucky charm will be much help if you make foolish choices, so think carefully before you act. If you keep your wits about you, you're in for the luckiest day of your life. Good luck. Well, there goes that. <laughs> Good choices, guys. Sure. It's a hot July evening. You and your friends, Luke and Liz Stedman, are at a traveling carnival that has come to your town. They're married. <laughs> yep. <laughs> hot time, Southern City. You've already been on most of the rides, and now you're just strolling around, looking at the game booths and sideshows. You notice a booth with a sign over it that reads, Take a chance and win a ride in a hot air balloon. Value $100. Only 25 cents a ticket. Get a bird's eye view of the world. Thrill to this once-in-a-lifetime adventure. My cousin went on one of those balloon rides once, you say. He said it was great. Let's each buy a ticket, Liz says. Your cousin's a dick. The three of you pay your quarters, and the attendant gives you your tickets. You stuff yours in your pocket. A few minutes later, you stop before a ball toss booth. It has a white wall on the back with a circular hole in it. A basket of colored plastic balls sits on the counter in front. A sign over the booth says, Toss the ball through the hole and win a great prize. Fifty cents a toss. It looks impossible, Luke says. The hole is hardly in <laughs> Don't take a drink. <laughs> It looks impossible, Luke says. The hole is hardly any bigger than the balls. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's usually the case. <laughs> <laughs> you try and stuff them in there anyway. <laughs> that's how you get lucky. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> the prizes had better be good, you say. This looks like an easy way to lose 50 cents. Oh, they'll be good. A man with a long pointed beard is tending the booth. He points toward a shelf with some inexpensive looking prizes arranged on it. Get the ball through the hole and you can have a prize greater than you could ever imagine, he says. You and your friends exchange glances. You know they must be thinking the same thing you are. This looks like a real scam. I think it's too hard, Luke says. I'm not going to play. That's what she said. <laughs> what do you mean by a prize greater than we could ever imagine, you ask the man. His blue eyes glitter as he looks at you. You'll find out if you win. Wink, wink. Uh-huh. I'll give it a... Smooch, smooch. <laughs> I'll give it a try, Liz says with a shrug. She gives the attendant two quarters and he hands her a ball. Liz aims carefully and tosses it. <laughs> you okay over there? I just can't with this book. <laughs> Calm down, Liz is handling the ball. <laughs> he handed it to her. <laughs> yeah. Liz aims carefully and tosses it, but it hits the rim of the hole and bounces off. There goes 50 cents, she says. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I recommend it. I recommend Edward Packard's best book. <laughs> <laughs> You know getting the ball through the hole is a long shot, but you can't help being curious about the prize. You drop 50 cents on the counter, pick up a ball, and squint at the target. You can see that the ball will have to be going straight to make it through the hole. It Obviously. Can't, yeah. It can't come at an angle. <laughs> it can't go in gay. <laughs> <laughs> You'll have to throw it fast. You wind up like a baseball pitcher and let the ball fly. It whizzes through the hole. What a lucky throw. Now you got to talk to the creepy guy again. <laughs> Luke and Liz cheer and slap you on the back. The attendant looks amazed. He shakes his head. I never thought anyone would do it. Well, you thought wrong, you say with a grin. <laughs> now it's time for a prize greater than any I could ever imagine. I have two great prizes for you to choose from, the man says. Did he have a bunch of cheap-ass prizes, too? Yeah, but we can imagine. <laughs> no, no I, I know, but but like... Yeah, I don't know who those are for. What are the point of those yeah. if the only point of this game is to get the ball through the hole? So I don't know, to reel them in. Make people quit crying when they lose. Yeah. He takes a couple of small objects off the shelf and puts them on the counter in front of you. One is a greenish-blue crystal about the size of a cherry. It glistens in the light and seems quite unusual, but it certainly doesn't look valuable. The other prize is a tiny book, so thin that there can't be more than a few pages in it. The title of the book is How to Get Lucky. Luke is trying not to laugh. Those are the prizes, he says sarcastically. Oh. You thought he was laughing for a different reason. <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, you did. Great. I for a second, Edward Packard was aware of what he was doing. <laughs> Greater than you could ever imagine, says Liz in the same tone of voice. The attendant can see from your expression that you're not happy. Heed my words, he says. Either one of these prizes could change your life. Yeah, sure, you say disbelievingly. Look, my friend, he says. If you want, you can have your money back instead. No, I won. I want my prize. <laughs> he shoves the two quarters towards you, but for some reason, you don't feel like taking them. All right, I'll take the prize, you say. Which one do I get? The man smiles. Choose the one you want, he says. The crystal or the book. 
If you take the crystal, turn to page seven. If you take the book, turn to page 67. Well, it's nice that he got to it right away. This usually doesn't happen. We're usually 27 pages into the book before you finally yeah. get a choice. So Yeah, that's actually nice I and rare. Want the book. Want the book. <laughs> I was going to say, after all that buildup, I don't think we can not pick the book. Sure. I don't think it can live up to our expectations oh, either. No. no, for sure. So we're choosing the book. We're going to learn how to get lucky. lucky. Yeah. You choose the book and the man hands it to you. It has thick covers. I thought it was thin. It's thin with thick covers. Okay. There's and, two yep. pages in it. It has thick covers, and when you open it up, you find only one page with just a few words on it. Wow. 50% less pages than I thought. Yep. Luke and Liz lean over your shoulders, and the three of you read, Be kind. Be honest. Investigate. Luke grabs the book out of your hand. That's it? That's supposed to be a book? This is ridiculous, Liz says. I demand a refund. I don't know. We already read the book, so. Yeah. yeah. It's ours now. <laughs> if we hadn't read the book, we might have gotten a refund. Yeah. You grab the book back from Luke and wave it at the attendant. I thought this was going to be a book on how to get lucky, you say. First of all, it doesn't say anything about luck. Second of all, it's only got one page, and there's not much on that either. Luke leans over the counter and glares at the attendant. This is a real scam. It ought to be against the law. Me and my wife are very angry about this. It probably is against the law, Liz says. The attendant takes the book and looks at the page. No, he says. This is what I thought it was. It's short, but that's all that's needed to tell you how to be lucky. He looks you in the eye. Just getting this book makes this the luckiest day of your life. This is crazy, you say. We'll see what the manager has to say about this, Luke adds. Oh, God, for Karen's. Yes, I would like to speak to your carny manager, please. <laughs> There's an aluminum trailer near the carnival entrance with a sign on it that says manager. You, Luke, and Liz head for it. Please don't. The door is half open and you walk inside. The place is littered with stacks of boxes and assorted equipment. There's just enough space among all the junk for a scratched and dirty formica-topped table that serves as a desk. Papers are stacked high all over the table, leaving barely enough room for an early model computer and a telephone. Behind the table, tilting back in his chair, is an overweight, puffy-eyed man smoking a smelly cigar. He waves you away. Get out of here, kids. This is private. We have a complaint, you say. He half-rises. I said beat it. We won't beat it, Liz says. If you won't listen to us, we'll go to the police. The man jams his cigar butt down in the ashtray, half filled with ashes and paper clips. All right, but make it quick. You open the book and shove it in front of him. I paid 50 cents for a chance to win a prize, and this is what I got. It's supposed to be a book about getting lucky, but it's hardly a book at all, and there's nothing in it about luck. It's actually probably worth about 50 cents. Yeah. <laughs> the manager takes the book and looks at it. This certainly is a book, he says. In fact, mm. you've already following... Mm. Yeah. In fact, you're already following the advice in it. How can you complain? Luke frowns. What do you mean? The manager runs a stubby finger down the book's single page. See here? It says investigate. That's just what you're doing, right? No, we're not. He laughs, exposing a mouthful of gold-capped teeth. <clears throat> we're now, bitching. Yeah. Now get out of here and enjoy the carnival, or I'll call the police. Go ahead, Liz says. I bet they take our side. The manager glares at her for a moment. Then he appears to relent. In a softer voice, he says, Okay, okay. I gotta give you kids credit. You're very persistent. Look, I'll make it up to you. 
How, you all say in unison. Did you by a chance on the hot air balloon ride? Yes, you say, we all did. Well, I could fix it so you'll win. All three of you. Would that satisfy you? You glance at your friends. They both shrug, leaving the decision up to you. If you accept the manager's deal, turn to page 86. If you decide against it, turn to page 74. God, this book started so good. Yeah. <laughs> it went downhill so yep. quick. Yep. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, w- I wouldn't mind a hot air balloon ride, I guess. All right, let's do the hot air balloon then. Okay, so we're going to cheat to win. Although I do kind of wonder what else he would offer or not, or if we do call the cops. But mm-hmm. I'd rather do the hot air balloon. All right. Okay, we'll take it, you say. When do we get to go? A week from Saturday, the manager says. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Never mind. Call the cops. <laughs> Kitty. <laughs> he strips three tickets off a roll and writes the numbers down in a notebook. Then he hands them to you. The balloon will take off from Bennett's farm. Be there at 9 a.m. If the weather's bad, they'll give you a rain check. A couple of days later, you're at home alone when the doorbell rings. Opening it, you see two police officers standing outside. Hello, can I help you, you say? They ask for your name, and when you tell them, one of the officers says, You don't have to answer any more questions right now if you don't want to. You may be charged with a crime. A crime? Me? You exclaim. I've never done anything wrong. Cheating a balloon raffle. Oh, no. We found out that the manager of the traveling carnival has been fixing raffle tickets, the second officer says. Turns out the raffle doesn't work by chance. We have evidence that you and your friends bought three of the winning tickets. We didn't buy them, you say. We went to the manager's office to complain about getting ripped off at one of the booths, and he gave us the tickets to make it up to us. Good job admitting to a crime. Good job talking. The officers exchange glances. Yeah, well, that's participating in a fraudulent scheme, the first officer says. What does that mean? It means lawyer up, idiot. It means we're going to have to issue a U.S. summons. Your friends will each be getting one, too. You'll have to appear in juvenile court. You're going to jail for 20 years, kid. Or until you're 18, whichever comes first. (laughs) Three weeks later, you, Luke, and Liz find yourselves in court, telling your story to the judge. Fortunately, the three of you get off pretty easily. The judge sentences you to six (laughs) months of community service. Now we're back. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have to sweep floors every Saturday at the youth center. You're still trying to figure out how to get lucky. The end. That was kind of sad. Yeah. Uh, we can go back and choose to do the cop thing, or do you want to just do the gem? Actually, I want to do the cop thing. I'll do the cop thing. Yeah. So turn down the... Turn down the balloon ride. Because the balloon ride's a lame prize anyway. That wouldn't be fair to the people who bought raffle tickets, you say. You glance at your friends who nod in agreement. I wish we had a choice to, like, not bitch. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That would have been nice. That would have been nice. Hey, what is this, Sunday school? The manager sneers. You heard my offer. Take it or leave it. We're leaving it, you say firmly. Come on, let's get going, Liz says. This guy is hopeless. The manager's face reddens. You're the ones who are hopeless. Now get out of here. Good comeback. (laughs) You are. The three of you hurry out of the trailer. A moment later, a gong sounds and an announcement comes over the speaker. The Colonel (laughs) Boom! The carnival will close in five minutes. You head for the exit. You and the Stedmans live in different directions, so when you reach the street, you say, See you guys in school. Hope your book brings you good luck, Liz says. You smile. 
Maybe we'll get a call saying our tickets won the hot air balloon ride. Luke laughs. Fat chance, he says. See ya. No one calls to say you won the balloon ride, but about four days later, you notice a big headline in your local newspaper. It reads, Carnival owner accused of cheating on raffle tickets. Police say he sold winning tickets to friends. What was it? Be kind, be honest. Oh, yeah. Oh. Serves him right, you think. He had it coming to him. You read the rest of the story and find that the police had a court order to plant a bug in the manager's office. Okay. All right. This is apparently a town that has nothing better to do. Nothing else going on. They recorded conversations in which he revealed that instead of running the lottery legitimately, he sold the winning tickets or gave them away to his friends. You've hardly finished reading the article when the phone rings. It's Luke and Liz calling to ask if you've seen the story. I sure have. It will be interesting to see what happens, you say. What happens is very surprising. Okay. The following week, you get a call from the assistant district attorney, Miss Rohrabach. She tells you she's the prosecutor on the lottery ticket case. What can I do for you, you ask? You wonder if she's going to ask you to testify. You don't have to do anything, she says. The manager already confessed. I'm just calling to give you some news. What kind of news? One of the conversations the police recorded was of the manager offering you winning tickets to shut you up about the phony prize you got at the ball toss booth. Yes, I remember I was there. You're kidding, you say. I never would have guessed we were being recorded. No, that's sure. kind of why they yeah. do it. Even yeah. though they said in the article that you were being recorded. You gotta always live your life feel like you're being recorded. Well, you were, along with a lot of other people. And you and your friends were the only ones who weren't willing to go along with the manager's scheme. Everybody wanted a fucking one. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently everybody was going to get one. I'm sure glad we didn't, you say, even if we missed out on the hot air balloon ride. You didn't miss out, she says. The man who runs the balloon ride business was so impressed with your honesty that he's offered you all a free ride. Oh, boy. Just show up at Bennett's Farm next Saturday if you want to go. This is great. I've got to call Luke and Liz and tell them the news. Okay, I won't keep you, she says. I hope you have a great time. Uh, now we got our, our balloon ride. Oh, boy. The next Saturday morning, you wake up early, wolf down your breakfast, and rush out to your bike. Luke and Liz are waiting for you when you reach their house. I can't wait, says Liz. This is going to be awesome. You and Luke nod in agreement. By the time you get to Bennett's farm, the balloon has already been inflated. Oh, that's probably half the fun. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. You can see it in an empty pasture as you bike up the road. It's tied down with ropes snagged around stakes in the ground. The balloon with its blue and yellow stripes is an eye-catching sight, swaying and tugging in the breeze. A small crowd is standing by to watch the launch. You lean your bikes against the stump of an old maple and run over to the balloon. The balloonist shakes your hands. He's a gaunt-eyed, thin-faced man in his thirties. My name is Mistilov Shervindovsky, he says, but you can call me Mickey. That's pretty good. Okay. He introduces you to a rather elderly woman named Miss Johnstone, who will be going on the ride with you. I don't know if that's a good idea. You can call me Mickey, because that's what I'm going to slip you. <laughs> I was going to say Mrs. Johnstone, who will be going on the ride with you. Prepare to get lucky. <laughs> she looks a bit old to be going up in the balloon, you think, but you figure that's her business. Mickey helps her up into the basket, and you and your friends climb aboard after her. Well, this is a little fun. I guess. Mickey points to the heater in the middle of the basket. This little stove takes an ordinary air and heats it, he tells you. As it's heated... The air rises up into the balloon, 
keeping it inflated. Well, that accent slipped there at the end. <laughs> you hear the muted roar of the flame as he turns up the burners on the stove. Now I'm heating up the air even more, he says. In a couple of minutes, it will be hot enough to take us up. Then my assistants will let go of the ropes and we'll be on our way. Where are we going, you ask? Mickey flashes you a grin. We're in luck. There's a gentle east wind that will take us right over town. You'll be able to see your houses and maybe some of your friends waving up at you. If our luck holds, you'll be able to look straight down at the falcon's nest on the steeple of the Presbyterian Church. Cool, you say. Where will we land? I'm going to spit so many loogies over the side. <laughs> a couple of miles west of town, on the grass airstrip alongside the Connors place. One of my assistants will be there in a van to help us fold up the balloon and bring us all back here. How do you steer this thing anyway, Liz asks. Now we get to learn about hot air balloons. Lucky me. Lucky you. <laughs> well, actually, the van does most of our steering for us, Mickey says. If it changes directions, we'll have to land somewhere else. But I think it will hold pretty much as it is today. And I can do a little steering by playing with the ropes leading up to the rim. <laughs> as Mickey has been talking, the balloon has continued to expand. Soon it's fully inflated. This all sounds very exciting, says Miss Johnstone. But I'm getting a little nervous. I'm not sure I ought to go. You'll be all right, Mickey says. This is probably safer than driving your car. He leans over the edge of the basket. Probably. Okay, fellas, cast off, he calls to the men tending the ropes. Oh, he didn't even give her a chance to... No, he's respond. like, nope, you're already in. You're not getting out. He'll be fine. Which day specifically was the luckiest day of our life? I mean, it might be this one. Because <laughs> I feel like that happened days ago, and now we're getting in a hot air balloon. I don't know. Our life's pretty short so far. Yeah. Miss Johnstone gasps as the balloon rises suddenly, sailing 50 feet off the ground before the wind begins to move it over the pasture. Mickey turns the burner down a little. If you don't want to rise too high, he says, I like to keep low. You can see more that way. You and your friends peer down over the rim of the basket at the treetops below you. You pass over a stream, then some houses, a clearing filled with wrecked cars and a farm. You continue to watch the sights passing by below as the balloon drifts along. A dog stands in the middle of a field, barking at you. A few minutes later, you pass over some kids who have gotten off their bicycles to watch you go by. Hey, look, there's Jin, Liz says. She leans over the rim of the basket to wave at her friend. Don't lean over the edge, dummy, Luke says, yanking her back. Stand back and hawk a loogie from here, man. I wasn't leaning over the edge, Liz says. At that moment, you notice Miss Johnstone. She's huddled down on the floor of the basket, whimpering softly. <laughs> <laughs> You okay, Miss Johnstone, you ask? No! Her face wears a tortured expression. I didn't think I'd be scared, but I'm terrified. I don't think I can stand it much longer. Take me down, please. Mickey glances at her. You'll be all right, Miss Johnstone. We'll be down in about 40 minutes. Nice. <laughs> you don't need to worry. The old woman seems to shrivel up. Please, please take me down. Yeah, please, please take us down. It would be inconvenient to put down here. The van is picking us up at the airstrip, Mickey says. Besides, the town's just ahead. It's our big chance to see it from the air. It wouldn't be fair to the others to land so soon. Yeah, you're outvoted, Miss Johnstone. Suck it up. I'm fine landing early and going to do anything else. Land over by the movie theater. Yeah. Mickey turns away. You glance ahead and see the top of the church steeple and the gold-painted dome of the courthouse. 
Miss Johnstone is sobbing softly. <clears throat> Luke and Liz catch your eye. Do you think we should tell him to land? Liz asks quietly. If you tell Mickey to land right away, <laughs> turn to page 55. <laughs> if not, turn to page 70. All right, so now it's do we want to torture an old lady or not? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a harder decision to make now. It's a hard one. Um, I'm leaning yes. My big issue with this is I just don't give a fuck about writing in a balloon. I know. I'm kind of right. I, I wanted the balloon, but now I'm kind of over it already. If you, if you want to torture the lady, we can torture the lady. I, th I think we should keep torturing her. All right. Just hope it's not another five pages of blue ride. No, it's another 20 pages of blue <laughs> ride. Miss Johnstone will be okay, and I don't want to miss seeing the town, you whisper to Luke and Liz. You peer over the side and see six deer standing in a clearing in the woods. They're alert, as if sensing danger. The balloon shadow passes over one of them, and it lopes off into the woods. The others follow, their white tails raised behind them. Then you look down at Miss Johnstone. She's still crouched at the bottom of the gondola. You start to feel a little worried about her. She doesn't look good. Mickey notices your concerned expressions. It's acrophobia, fear of heights, he says to you in a low voice. This cure is to stick it out. If you give in to it, you'll never get over it. Yeah, he's going to cure her. That's what's happening yeah. here. I think she's having a stroke. Suddenly, you feel a jolt and the basket swings to one side. Miss Johnstone screams. <laughs> it's all right, folks, Mickey says loudly. Just a wind shift. Nothing we can't handle. You're not so sure. The wind has not only changed direction, but it's blowing harder. The balloon is drifting rapidly to the south. In a few minutes, it crosses some railroad tracks, then it's over more woods. Okay, everyone. We'll be setting down when we get past these woods. Try not to move around if you can help it. We have to keep this thing as steady as possible. You crouch down next to Miss Johnstone. She's still sobbing softly, her eyes shut tight. Mickey adjusts the controls of the burner and tugs a bit on one of the ropes. A gust of wind jolts the balloon to one side. There's nothing but woods visible below. The balloon is being carried farther and farther from the town. You're starting to get scared yourself. There's a farm ahead, Liz says, pointing. Another gust of wind strikes. The basket swings wildly again. We can land there, Mickey says. He turns a valve, cutting down the supply of hot air. The balloon begins to lose altitude. You clear the treetops at the edge of the woods by about 50 feet, then drift across the cornfield, sinking lower and lower. Hold on, Mickey cries. The basket brushes the top of the stalks, lifts up a few feet for a second, then comes down hard onto the ground. Mickey lets the air out of the bag. It collapses slowly, spreading over the cornstalks like an enormous blanket. Are you all right, Miss Johnstone? Mickey asks. I hate you all. Do you remember what the second line in the book was? I think it was choose kindness. Might have been. Which you guys did it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's okay. We'll see how this plays out. Probably badly. Mm -hmm. of... what, what, what bad things could possibly happen in a cornfield? <laughs> <laughs> Instead of answering, she stands up, grips the rim of the basket, and stares out over the cornfield. Fortunately, she seems uninjured, and the color is coming back to her cheeks. In fact, her face has grown red with anger. She turns to Mickey. This is certainly not what you advertised, young man, Mickey says. I'm sorry, Miss Johnstone. If you can't control the weather, you know. You could have controlled it yourself, she replies, instead of being so heartless and refusing to land when I was suffering so... Karen number two. <laughs> yep. At that moment, it begins to rain. Hard. I'll get help, Mickey says. Bye. <laughs> he vaults over the rim of the basket. <laughs> 
and heads toward the farmhouse, which is about a quarter of a mile away. The rest of you do your best to stay dry as you sit and wait. Miss Johnstone is in no condition to wade through a cornfield, and you don't feel right about leaving her. You know what she's thinking. If you'd asked Mickey to set the balloon down when she wanted him to, you'd all be on your way home by now. As it is, it's about three hours before you walk in your door, wet, chilled, and not very happy. And to top it off, your bike is still stuck out in the rain at the Bennett's farm. Back in your room, you notice the book How to Get Lucky lying on your desk. You pick it up and throw it across the room. It lands right in the wastebasket. Well, that certainly was a lucky shot, you think. Maybe that book has some luck left in it after all. You retrieve the book from the wastebasket and put it back on your desk. Then you take a long, hot shower, all the while thinking about how to be lucky. The end. Um, well, we could choose kindness. We can choose kindness. We go back and see what the fuck the stone does. Um, I think we should choose kindness. We should do what the fucking book tells us because that's going to give right. us the best ending. But uh... Mickey is on one knee, adjusting the controls on the heater. You tap him on the shoulder. Mickey, we've got a lamp right away. I think Miss Johnstone is sick. He glances over at her. She's not sick. She has acrophobia, fear She's of heights. A faker. The only way to cure it is to not give in to it. Miss Johnstone overhears him. I don't want to be cured. I want to land, she shrieks. <laughs> Luke and, I want to live. Luke and Liz crowd around Mickey. You've got to land, Liz says. Come on, Luke says. There's a field right ahead. Okay, if that's what everybody wants. Mickey turns down the burner, letting cooler gas enter the balloon. In a few moments, it begins to descend. A gust of wind hits the balloon and sets the basket swinging. Miss Johnstone lets out a cry. It's okay, you tell her. He's taking us down now. Mickey tugs on one line, then another, guiding the balloon's descent. A few minutes later, the basket brushes the ground, bounces back up a few feet into the air, and comes down again with a thud. The balloon collapses and flops onto the tall grass. Miss Johnstone gives a little gasp, then a thin smile forms on her pale, wrinkled face. Oh, she says, it's so good to be on the ground. Glad you feel better, Mickey says. Now I'll have to find a place where I can call it and get someone to pick us up. He hops over the rim of the gondola and walks toward a white farmhouse on the other side of the field. A chill wind comes up, causing the balloon bag to flutter and flap on the grass, but the basket stays firmly on the ground. Miss Johnstone has taken a comb and mirror from her purse. She wipes her eyes with a tissue, combs her hair, and dabs a bit of powder on her nose. The wind grows stronger and you feel a few drops of rain hit your arms. Do you feel up to walking to the farmhouse, Miss Johnstone, you ask? I think you'd be more comfortable waiting there than out here. Yes, thank you, she says. You and your friends help her climb over the rim of the basket and you all slog across the field of the house. Soon you're sitting around a table in the farmer's kitchen, sipping hot chocolate and basking in the heat from a wood-burning stove. The following Monday afternoon, you've just gotten home from school when your mother calls you to the phone. This is Miss Johnstone from the balloon ride, says the voice on the other end of the line. Oh, hi, how are you feeling? I've never felt better, thank you. But I'm not calling about that. I'm calling to let you know how much I appreciate your having asked that man to land the balloon. That damn dirty man. I'd like to reward you and your friends somehow. Hey, thanks, you say. <laughs> You're about to get lucky. Not with money. I don't like that sort of thing, she You're says. You're about to get lucky. <laughs> but I've been talking to my brother, George Johnstone. You're oh. about to get lucky. <laughs> he and his wife have a wonderful place in New Mexico called Wolf Ranch. Oh. He wonders if you and your two friends would like to visit during your next school vacation. 
You'd be flown there in a private plane, and while you're there, you can ride horses, fish, swim, take pack trips, and have all kinds of fun. No, there's, thank you. <laughs> there's even a legend. I'd rather have the money. <laughs> there's even a legend that Spanish explorer buried treasure near the ranch. No one's found it yet, but you kids might be the ones to do it. Yeah, I think this is treasure. In any case, I think you'd have a marvelous time. Wow, Miss Johnstone, that sounds great, you say. Let me call my friends and see if they can go. You reach Luke on the phone and tell him to get Liz on the extension. They're both excited by the invitation, especially when you tell them about the buried treasure. Soon after school lets out for the summer, the three of you board a plane for Albuquerque, New Mexico, ready for your visit to Wolf Ranch. When you arrive at the airport in Albuquerque, you are met by Mr. Johnstone's ranch foreman, Jake Bonner. Jake takes you to a six-seater plane, which will carry you directly to the ranch. After you've been in the air for a little while, Jake's voice comes over the intercom. I took us down low and 50 miles off course so you could get a look at this great scenery, he says. Gee, thanks. Right now we're just a few thousand feet over the Pecos Wilderness area in northern New Mexico. You, Luke, and Liz press your nose against the window, trying to see as much as you can of what's below. Hey, I just cleaned that. There are great stretches of spruce and pine forests and valleys covered with wildflowers. Rocky peaks soar above them, the uppermost slopes still covered with snow. One get this service on a regular airline, Luke remarks. But you're not listening. You've just noticed a thin trail of smoke coming off one of the engines. Jake's voice comes over the intercom again, but this time he sounds worried. What oh. if we crash on the treasure chest? Yeah, exactly. Well, we still have to investigate. Buckle up, kids. We got a little emergency. The jet goes into a dive. The lights suddenly blink off. The smoke gets thicker and you can see flashes of red flame on the wing. You glance at Luke and Liz. Their mouths are taut, their eyes wide. They look as scared as you feel. You grip the armrests tightly. The plane swerves dizzily, then banks. The mountains seem to be rushing up at you as the plane hurtles toward the ground. You grab your jacket from the seat next to you and hold it against your chest for added padding. Though you know it won't help much if the plane hits hard. The right wing dips almost 90 degrees, then levels. The nose of the plane pulls up and your body is wrenched violently to one side. The remaining engine roars and there is a terrific jolt and the noise of ripping metal as the plane grazes the ground. It bounces and then hits again with a sickening crunch. Your upper body is thrown forward. Your head strikes the seat in front of you with a thud. Ow. You did not assume the crash position. <laughs> the plane is touched down on an icy mountain slope. It skids along for a few terrifying seconds. Suddenly it noses down into a shallow gully and comes to an abrupt stop. Your head slams into the seat again. You feel waves of pain, then you black out. If only. You regain consciousness a few minutes later. Liz is bending over you. Her forehead is caked with blood and an ugly purple bruise is forming on her cheek. Luke is stretched out across two seats. His head is propped up by his jacket and his eyes are open, but he looks pale and there is a painful looking lump on his temple. How are you? Liz asks. You unbuckle your seatbelt and wiggle your arms and legs. Well, I've got a real bummer of a headache, but other than that, I think I'm okay. You stand up. How about you, Luke? He manages a weak smile. Okay, except I feel kind of dizzy. He may have a concussion, Liz says. You notice the cockpit door is broken off. How's Jake, you ask Liz. He's got some cuts and bruises. They don't look too bad, but he says he's got a bad pain in his chest. He's afraid it's his heart. We have a pilot who died of a heart attack before, too. Yeah, he's yeah. escape. Mm. Yeah. You start to get up, then collapse back into your seat. Your legs feel as if they're not connected to your body. You try again and manage to get unsteadily to your feet. Liz helps support you. 
Then you notice she's holding one foot off the floor. Are you hurt? She nods. I think it's sprained. You take a deep breath. Has Jake radioed for help? Do we know when we might get rescued? Liz shakes her head. He can't. The radio's out. You glance out the window of the plane. A line of dark clouds is on the horizon and seems to be moving closer. The last thing you need right now is bad weather, but it looks as though that's what you're going to get. You duck past the broken doorway and go into the cockpit. Jake looks around at you, his face twisted with pain. How you doing, kid? He gasps. I'm real sorry I couldn't get us down safe. Don't be sorry, you say. You made a great landing. I bet with most pilots, we'd all be dead by now. Thanks for saying that, Jake says. But we'll all be dead suit anyway if we don't do something. There's bad weather coming. No one's going to find us for days. And I don't think I can last that long out here. My chest hurts and it's getting worse. I'm going to have a heart attack and you kids have no survival skills at all. <laughs> Your mind races. Jake needs help fast. The radio is out. The weather's closing in and you're the only one who can walk. I'll go for help, you say. Jake nods. There's a road and some farms a few miles away down in the valley. No problem, you say. I can cover a few miles downhill in less than an hour. Don't kid yourself, he says. This is rough country. And if you go down into the wrong valley, you'll find nothing but deer, antelope, and maybe a bear or two. I'll find a road, you say. Jake half smiles. I have to hand it to you. You're a gutsy kid. Well, you'd better get going. It won't be long until we get a real hard rain or maybe snow. I'll be as fast as I can, you say. Don't forget to keep track of which way you go so you can tell people where we are. Jake says, okay. The plane door has been completely ripped off. You stand in the opening for a moment and then hop down, landing in about four inches of soft, granular snow. You're above the timber line so you can see a good distance. About a quarter of a mile away, a steep ridge runs like a spine up and down the mountain. You set out for it, hoping to get a better view from there. You reach the ridge after about a 20-minute hike through the snow. From this vantage point, you can see steep slopes on either side leading down into separate valleys. The view of each valley is blocked by rock ridges about a thousand feet below. The ridge you're on, which serves as the barrier between the two valleys, rises steeply farther down the mountain. There's no way you'd be able to cross from one valley to the other down there. If Jake is right, there are some farms in one of these valleys. But which one? I think Jeremy's asleep. Well, the last time he was asleep when we did this, we had the best ending ever. That's true. So I don't know if we should just let him. I know, right? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no, he is awake. I'm awake. The wind stiffens. You pull up <laughs> you pull up the collar of your parka. You figure you must be about ten thousand feet above sea level. Even though it's June, it's barely above freezing on this exposed spot. The wall of clouds has moved closer. You look up the line of the ridge to a peak that rises several hundred feet above you. It would be a steep climb, but you think you could reach the summit in about half an hour. From there, you would be able to see a lot more of the valley below. That would give you a better idea of which way to go. But the clouds are moving in fast. In a little while, all you'll be able to see from up there is fog. Maybe you should just pick one of the valleys and hope you'll be lucky. If you choose one of the valleys and start down immediately, turn to page 101. If you climb to the summit to get a better view, turn to page 105. Investigate. Which one? Well, the first one, we're just trying to rely on luck. The second one is trying to investigate or look for, you know, the best option, which is technically an investigation, I think. Okay. You remember that the book How to Get Lucky said to investigate. You start climbing up toward the summit, watching anxiously as the oncoming wall of clouds blot out the sun. 
You weren't so kind, and that didn't really lead you to anything. That <laughs> led you here. You make good progress yeah, at first. A vacation. <laughs> <laughs> you make good progress at first, but after a few minutes, the strength seems to be ebbing from your body. You have to rest every few steps. You're not used to this altitude, and your pack begins to feel as heavy as if it were loaded with bricks. With each step you take, the air becomes a little thinner, and the wind is a little fiercer. The slope steepens as you get closer to your goal. The last few yards, you have to hug the ground and claw your way up, digging your feet into the crusty snow. Finally, on your hands and knees, you reach the summit. The cold wind is blowing so hard by this time that you can hardly stand up, but it's still clear enough to see into the valleys. Looking down, you can see that the valley on the right is an unbroken expanse of spruce and pine. The one on the left is more open. You can see a high stretch of meadowland, then mixed forest and fields lower down, and lower still, a wisp of smoke rising from the valley floor. You feel like cheering despite your weariness. Smoke means people and civilization. A moment Earth later, <laughs> a moment later, a gust of wind almost blows you off the summit. You're glad to leave it. You pick your way down the steep incline, heading for the valley where you saw the smoke. The rain is falling harder now, and the wind threatens to throw you off balance at every step. You can't see more than a few hundred yards ahead of you, but the weather is at your back, and you're sure you can make it now that you have a goal. Two hours later, soaked, bruised, cut, and aching, you stumble down a wooded slope into a cow pasture. There is a barn only 50 yards away and a farmhouse beyond it. A farmer comes out of the barn and starts toward the house. Get off my lawn! <laughs> you yell and run out over to him. You introduce yourself and explain what happened. Well, come on inside and get yourself cleaned up while I call the authorities, the farmer says. You follow him into a large kitchen lit by a roaring fire. No, I need an ambulance. A plump, smiling woman is sitting at the table. She rises to greet you. You're about to get lucky. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, I'm Ben Woleka, the farmer says. This is my wife, Peggy. Mrs. Woleka invites you to sit in front of the fire and warm up. She hurries off to find you some dry clothes while Mr. Woleka picks up the phone and calls the police. They'll have a helicopter up there before dark, he says when he hangs up. You call your family and the Stedmans to tell them what happened, and that Luke and Liz will be okay. But Jake's probably going to be dead. Yep. A couple of hours later, word comes that a rescue helicopter has found the wrecked plane and taken Jake, Luke, and Liz to the nearest hospital. You call the hospital and get through to Luke. How's everyone doing, you ask? We're all dead. Good. Liz and I will be out of here tomorrow. Jake will be in a little while longer. They say he's going to be okay, thanks to you. That's great news. Oh, did you hear from Mr. Johnstone? No. He's sending someone to pick us up and take us to Wolf Ranch tomorrow, he says. In a plane? So we'll still have our chance to look for that buried treasure. Great, see you then. Yeah, I don't want to go there anymore. No, thanks. You sleep well that night, dreaming of buried treasure. The next morning at breakfast, Mr. Waleka spreads an old, crinkled map in front of you. Since you're going to Wolf Ranch, I thought you might be interested in this map. The map of L.A. <laughs> I found it in the attic when I bought this place. It claims to show where treasure is buried. You look at the map. I see where it mentions treasure, you say, but I can't make much sense of it. Neither can I, he says with a grin. Otherwise, I would have gone and dug it up myself. Anyway, you can take the map if you want. Maybe you'll be the lucky one who can figure it out and find the treasure. Thanks, you say. You fold the map carefully and put it in your pocket. A horn sounds outside. You look out the window and see a pickup truck with the words Wolf Ranch on it. There's my ride, you say. You think Mr. and Mrs. Waleka and hurry out to the truck. Wolf Ranch is nestled on the western slope of San Pedro Mountain, about 50 miles from where your plane went down. 
The owners, Mr. and Mrs. Johnstone, couldn't be kinder. They invite you to ride, swim, and fish to your heart's content. They apologize profusely for almost killing you. <laughs> but you and your friends have something else on your mind, trying to figure out what the map Mr. Waleka gave you. Unfortunately, Luke and Liz can't tell anything more from the map than you can. What do you think it all means, Luke says. I don't know, Liz says, but all these funny symbols look like they could be a code or something. If it's a code, I sure can't see how to crack it, Luke says. Me neither, you say. Now I know why Mr. Waleka said he couldn't make sense of it. Well, no sense wasting our whole vacation trying to figure it out, Liz says. Let's go riding. You put the map away and saddle up along with Luke and Liz, but you don't enjoy the ride as much as you should. You're feeling a little dejected because you haven't been able to decipher the treasure map. For the last few days of your visit at Wolf Ranch, you, your friends, and some of the other guests at the ranch go on a pack trip up into the mountains. There's other guests? Okay. It's a lot of fun. During the day, you ride along a scenic trail. Fields of wildflowers blanket the mountains on one side, and the verdant landscape of the valley stretches 70 miles on the other. At night, you camp out under the stars that look so close you feel as if you could reach up and touch them. You arrive back at the ranch about sunset the night before you're scheduled to leave. When you go to bed, you happen to glance at the book How to Get Lucky, especially at rule number three, Investigate. We haven't investigated, you think, as you drift off to sleep. Wait, you brought the book with you? It was three lines. <laughs> We're dumb. In all fairness, I didn't remember the first two. <laughs> at breakfast the next morning, you show the map to Mr. Johnstone and ask if he has any ideas what the symbols on it stand for. He puts on his spectacles and squints at the map. F-E-Z-N-P-B. These are symbols for different chemical elements, Zinc, he says. iron, peanut butter, <laughs> gold. Yeah. Do you know which ones? I'm afraid I don't, he says. But check the encyclopedia on the bookcases in the den. Okay. Oh, uh, remember those days? Yeah, my parents just got rid of theirs. <laughs> I have some in the garage somewhere. You, Luke, and Liz hurry to the den and locate the encyclopedia. You check the index and find an entry for chemical elements. Turning to the page indicated, you find something called the periodic table. Wow. What? It lists all the elements and the symbols for each one. What is this periodic table? Uh, you write down the symbols on the map and then mark what each one is. Your list looks like this. Fe iron, Zn zinc, Pb is lead, Oh, yeah. peanut butter. Peanut butter. CU copper, AU gold. Gold? What more could we want? Liz exclaims. Copper, you say, and run off. <laughs> yeah, right? This map must show where gold is. This is cool, Luke says. It looks like it's buried just east of Chimney Rock, Liz says. Come on, our flight doesn't leave until 10 o'clock tonight. Let's get some shovels and start digging. You set out right away and soon reach the area shown on the map. You find a bunch of loose rocks about 50 feet east of Chimney Rock. You turn them over and dig underneath. After about 20 minutes of digging, you're tired and sweaty and you haven't found a thing. You all stop to rest. Luke and Liz stare at you. They're too polite to say it, but you know what they're thinking. I guess I didn't figure out the map after all, you say. Darn it! Luke slams the blade of his shovel down in the hole he just dug. That made a funny sound, Liz cries. Mm -hmm. Keep digging there, you say. Luke is already shoveling out more dirt. A moment later, you can see the rusty surface of a metal box. We found it, Liz exclaims. You help dig deeper, then all three of you pry the box out and haul it up to the surface. It's heavy, Luke says. That's a good sign. He's panting from exertion. It's a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> There's no lock on it, Liz points out. She works her shovel under the lid and pries it open. The lid flies back. Then you feel like shouting, but you're speechless. The box is filled with gold coins. 
Some people might argue about how to divide up the coins, but Mr. Johnstone and Mr. Waleka are so fair-minded that everyone is happy with their proposal. Mr. Johnstone will keep a quarter of the coins because they were found on his property. Mr. Waleka will keep another quarter because he gave you the map that you used to find the treasure. You, Luke, and Liz will share the other half of the coins. When you get home, you find that your share alone is worth a small fortune. You sell them and put the money in the bank along with the amount you've already saved. From then on, you always keep the How to Get Lucky book right by your bed. The end. I feel like that should have been a choice. Well, how to split it? Yeah. yeah I feel like <laughs> I, I keep it all. 25% should go to Mr. Johnstone because it's his land. And 25% should go to Mr. Wolaka because it's his land. And then 100% should go to us because we kill both of them and put them in the hole that we found the gold in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the they end of the They died in the plane crash. <laughs> and it was the luckiest day of our life. And, and our friends. Yeah, we killed them too. Friends? What friends? I don't remember That's any friends. I don't. Mm -hmm. We simple planet. We'll buy new friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that one went on. Uh, yeah, in all it, fairness, I did doze off in the middle of that yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I, I waited a couple well, we, minutes before I even said anything, too. Like, I waited, and then I was like, yeah. I remember daydreaming, like, about a better book, <laughs> and then just sort of not being awake anymore. Yeah. Glowing recommendation. Not off. Yeah, I recommend I, the first five minutes of this episode. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and the rest of yeah. it you can skip. I thought that'd some. be more carnival. There was not that much carnival. Yeah. It just kind of drug. We meandered. Like, I mean, I mean, we got to a few endings pretty quickly, mm -hmm. but even those endings that we reached felt like you had already been reading for quite a while. Yeah. No, so I don't know. I don't think I'm going to recommend that no. one. No. Uh -uh. Yeah, I can't either. <sighs> Unless you are a hot air balloon enthusiast, yep. there's probably not a real solid reason to read this book. Or unless you just want to read the first few pages, then uh, go for it. I don't honestly, I don't even recommend the first few pages. I recommend the first few minutes of this podcast. Yep. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, if you want to learn more about Choose Your Own Adventure, go to CYOA.com. If you want to learn more about Edward Packard, go to EdwardPackard.com. If you want to learn more about us, go to IncrediblyDaring.com. And I'm Connie. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jason. The end. Well, you look out or run out of luck. You and your friends are at a traveling carnival playing games of chance and skill. After winning a seemingly impossible game, you are offered a choice of two prizes by a mysterious attendant. You can choose either a blue-green crystal or a book entitled How to Get Lucky. Neither seems very exciting, but the attendant assures you that these prizes could change your life. Which will you choose? <laughs> you need to laugh out loud. <laughs> I... I already know what I'm choosing. <laughs> yeah. If you pick the crystal, turn to page seven. If you take the book, turn to page sixty-seven. Choose carefully. I wish it had been page sixty-nine. <laughs> We're ruining this whole. Thing. That's fine. <laughs>